So here is the big question. How do entrepreneurs like us, who started sales or direct selling or network marketing, how did we start our journey but now feel stuck, feel like we're struggling or we can't level up to where we want to be, where we know we can be? How do we break through and prove everybody wrong? Everybody wrong. Show ourselves that we are successful and show ourselves that we can win. That is the big question. And this is the podcast that will give you the answers. My name is Lisa Hawker, and this is Direct AF Sales. Welcome back to Direct AF. How is everyone doing today? I know that I am on cloud nine because I have a very special guest with me today. His name is Vaughn Kohler. I first knew him as the pastor of disaster. <laughs> and I need to know why that was your name. How did you get that name? You know, honestly, I think Andy just likes giving me nicknames. And I think <laughs> it was just a very convenient, convenient rhyme. And for those who don't know who I'm referring to, Andy Frisella, who I worked with, uh, still work with, but uh, worked with on a podcast called MFCO Project. Um, largely, if not completely on the strength of his insight and personality, very successful podcast, uh, millions of downloads a month. And he just early on knew that I used to be a pastor and I think wanted to give me a little bit of a nickname with some flair to it. And so he decided to call me the pastor of disaster. And that stuck as, as my, as did my other, uh, my other nickname that he gave me Vaughn the impaler. So <laughs> <laughs> really weird combination of, of uh, nicknames, but they both stuck. And I love them both. I've been listening to you for, gosh, at least two years now. Um, first on the MF, well, actually first on Real AF, um, mm. where you were a co-host um, yeah. of Real AF. I love that. And then, of course, I heard on that that there had been a previous podcast that you were co-host of called the MF CEO Project. Um, mm. so I started listening to your old episodes on that and fell in love with what you guys had to say and, uh, have been following you since. So Vaughn, tell me how you started out. I know that you are currently an author. You mm -hmm. have a, an amazing book, which I'd like to talk about. You have this beautiful online virtual community that I want to talk about, but how did you get started as a pastor? What happened? Well, the long story short is that when I was in college, I was um, really into writing, really into speaking. Uh, I got a communications degree. My undergraduate uh, degree is in rhetoric, which is the art of persuasion or comp you know, composition, depending on how you use it. Um, but my sophomore year of college, I took a class called pulpit communications. I went to a Christian school. It was not a it was not a Bible school, but they did have electives that you could take in the Bible department. And I took a class called Pulpit Communications. And in in putting together sermons for that class, which is what you were supposed to do, I started feeling the call of God in my life and just felt such a such a sense of God's pleasure and, and his his affirmation when I preached that I thought, oh, I I must be called to preach. I must be called to to be a pastor. And so I I prayed about it and I asked several people who I uh, trusted, 
you know, what they thought about me pursuing the pastorate. You know, going to seminary, and I always joke that I, I, I took a tour of seminaries. I went to three different seminaries. I left the, I left the first two because of a girl and the th- a third one because of money. Um, but, I, but I did end up, uh, excuse me, no, I didn't leave the, th- I, I, I didn't, uh, li- uh, leave the third one. I actually ended up uh, graduating from the third one. But um, the first one I left because of a girl. The second one I left because of, I couldn't afford it. So, um, but yeah, I, and then shortly after that, I, you know, I graduated in 2002 from seminary and then was a pastor for 10 years. And I wasn't a senior pastor. It wasn't my primary duty to preach, although the church that they preach a lot. Um, but I worked with youth. I worked with uh, college age students. I did all sorts of stuff. So I got the full gamut of of experience as a pastor. And and uh, I really loved it. It I really felt um, I, I what I loved the most was the teaching and preaching um, and the one on one. I didn't love all the administration, but God was very good during that time. And so, uh, you know, after about 10 years, I felt God leading me into something else. And so that's that's how I ended up uh, going into the world of entrepreneurship and business and all that good stuff and meeting Andy. It's really it's amazing that our paths, you know, we we think we write our script, but we don't really write our scripts, do we? They can change right. at any time. And um, I, that's so interesting to me that you that you took a class and that's kind of how your your eyes were open, your heart was open. I also uh, got married to uh, my wife and uh, she was in medical school and just finishing up medical school in the Kansas City area. And so um, I had when I left the pastorate, I basically went to work uh, working in a marketing department and development uh, department for a Catholic uh, college in Atchison, Kansas. And then when Kasha finished, when she finished uh, medical school, uh, we decided we prayed about it, thought about it. We, we decided to move to St. Louis now, I'm a Kansan. I grew up in Hutchinson, Kansas, and I, I, I love my Sunflower State. When I was in college, my parents moved to St. Louis. Uh, my dad took a different company that he worked for. Um, and so and so we decided that we were going to move to St. Louis to get closer to my, to my family. Uh, Kasha's mom was only five hours away in Chicago. And, and Kasha was also offered a good opportunity to be part of a... Um, a practice that was going to be very flexible, a a medical practice that was going to be very flexible and sensitive to her desire to to have children so that the schedule and all that good stuff was pretty flexible. So when I got to when I got to St. Louis, I'll be honest with you, I was pretty cocky because I feel like I had done a pretty decent job for 10 years as a pastor. And then when I needed a job, I essentially talked Benedictine College into hiring me. And so I thought when I got to St. Louis, I was just going to do it do the next thing. I wasn't full-fledged into entrepreneurship yet, but I was very much someone who believed in the whole concept of hiring a boss, you know, finding the job that you wanted to do, approaching people, saying, hey, this is why I think, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to be good at this and creating your own position. And that's what I, that's what I had done at Benedictine College. And I thought that that's what I was going to be able to do in St. Louis. And the long and short of it is, is that I kept on reaching out to different people and and submitting resumes and doing all that stuff and just wasn't getting anywhere. And it was very, very humbling, humiliating. And um, the one thing that was available to me at the time uh, was that I was able to write articles for a local magazine. 
And it wasn't a full-time job. They paid, you know, per article, but I enjoyed it. And, uh, and so that get, that helped me exercise my, my writing. And so as I began to think about that, I thought, you know what, maybe I should just start my own writing business. And so I started, I, you know, I created the LLC and, and started a, a basically decided that I was going to do, do ghostwriting for people, but I hadn't really gotten any clients yet. I, I wasn't that deep into it. Well, I realized that I had to do something to help pay, you know, help pay down my wife's student loans. And, and, you know, people always say, oh, well, you were married to a doctor. Why did you need to w- worry about money? Are you kidding me? Student loans for one thing. And then secondly, when Kasha was hired, she was hired with a startup practice, a third of her market value. And so we needed money. And so I took a job. Uh, I, I started training to be a salesman, a company called Tri-County Water and Air. And so I was pretty, I mean, honestly, Lisa, I was pretty demoralized, not because I think that that wasn't a, you know, it was a good job. It was a very noble thing to do, a good product. But I just thought to myself, I was a pastor. I had these great hopes of becoming a writer and a speaker. And, you know, here I am training to be a water purification salesman. And so I was pretty, I was pretty demoralized on some level. And You know, I started the training. I went through the first two weeks of training. I went out on my very first sales call for this um, for this company. And as I was driving out, I just remembered it was this very, very bleak February uh, afternoon in, you know, St. Louis is near southern Illinois. And I was driving near southern Illinois to my first to my first sales call. And the phone rang. And it was the guy that owned the local magazine that I wrote for. And he said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just driving out to this sales call. And he, sw- and he said, uh, well, um, we fired our editor and uh, we think you would do a better job. Would you like to be the editor of our magazine? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and he said, now, listen, you're probably not going to make as much as you're doing with that sales job. Because we are a startup and, you know, the best I can pay you is basically the equivalent of a teacher. And I thought to myself, well, at least it's a full time salary and it'll be enough. And at least I'm doing something that I would enjoy. So I said, sure, let's do it. And he said, well, hey, um, how soon can you start? And I said, well, pretty much next week. And he said, well, uh, I need you to write an article for me. And can you, you know, I, I've got a very important article that I want somebody to write. I think you do a great job. Um, can you do it? I said, sure. And he said, well, uh, it's a very, very well-respected local entrepreneur here in, in town. His name is Andy Frisella. And I remember like yesterday hearing Bobby say that. And I said, oh, really? He said, so he told me, told me a little bit about Andy, about the nutritional supplement business, told me, hey, I hope you're not offended by cussing because Andy loves the F-bomb. I said, no. And so basically a week later, I mean, the rest is history. You know, a week later I show up, I meet Andy. We talk about dogs for the first 20 minutes because we both love dogs. And he had a picture of his old dog, Otis, there. And I showed him a picture of my dog, Rudy. And we just really hit it off. And I wrote the article about him. He loved it, said I was a great writer. You have so many great ideas. He said, I do have great ideas. And he said, and I'm a good writer, but I just don't have the time. And I said, you should hire somebody to help you write a book. I know somebody who just started a ghostwriting uh, business. And he said, well, send me a proposal. So I sent him a proposal and he went for it. And instead of writing the book, the, the conversations that were going to 
basically informed the chapters that I was going to write about that book ended up being the scripts that we used for, uh, see, I think you know the story, Lisa, but for those who, who don't know the story, basically I started meeting with Andy. We would have these great conversations about uh, topics of motivation, personal development, business, entrepreneurship. And he started posting clips of his answers because I recorded them. I was going to record them and he had his team record them too, but I was going to record them because I was going to get them transcribed and put into a, uh, put in, put into the book, right. Um, as the basis for the notes for my book, but he, he had his team record his answers and then post them on social media and people started going crazy. And they started saying, Hey, where's your podcast? Where can I listen to your podcast? And it was so funny. Cause I mean, this was like back in what, 2014, something like that. Podcasts were starting to be big, but they were still very much a tech thing or sort of, you know, if you were sort of geeky and into computers, you listen to podcasts. So Andy was like, I don't even know what a podcast is. Is it like a radio show? So long story short is that he approaches me and says, hey, I, I love the dynamic between us in terms of the conversation. I think you should be my, co my co-host. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> but it's, it was amazing. I mean, he had the foresight to know that a guy with his personality and background and a guy with my personality and background, the combination was really good. And, and the compliment, you know, the complimenting relationship between this, you know, it was a genius at motivation and business. And then this, you know, somewhat conservative former pastor who's a little bit more cerebral. I mean, he just knew, I think he knew that the combination was a good one. And so, um, you know, the, from there, I mean, literally, I mean, I feel bad for people who have to, you know, <laughs> they have to beat the pavement and, and work hard for years before they get a, a podcast, a listenership. And God blessed our podcast with a very quick listenership. Within a couple months, we were getting like a million downloads. And I really, truly believe um, that it's because Andy, Andy was saying what needed to be said in the way that it needed to be said. And he wasn't sugarcoating everything, anything. He was saying it in his unique style and he was and he was informing it with the fact that he had actually had real world experience and real world success. So I think, um, you know, I, I, I want to say I, I really believe God was in that. I really do, because so many of the lessons that we share you know, that we shared in the MFCO project, when you strip away, you know, some of the razzmatazz and the cussing and some of the modern ways of expressing ourselves, Many of those lessons are just basic lessons of morality and and principles of living that you can find in the scriptures. So for me as a pastor, this was this was I mean, sure. Yeah. Andy cussed more than anybody I'd ever been around before. But to me, we were talking about things that if people plugged in, they were going to end up being successful and they were going to be become better people. So it was a no brainer to me. And, uh, you know, I think what what did we go for like? three years or four years. I forget exactly how many, but some somewhere around 300, 400 episodes, but it, it was, it was a wild ride. That I love hearing that story. And I want to go back and touch on a couple of things, but before I go all the way back to one of the things you talked about, um, well, let's, let's just go there now. You know, I can really relate in a lot of ways to your story about having this wonderful job as a pastor. You were doing what you wanted to do. Maybe you weren't preaching as much as you wanted to preach, but you were, you had made it right. You were there. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew in high school that I wanted to be a prosecutor. There was no other path for me in life. I was completely driven to um, 
give value to the community that I was serving by locking mm-hmm. up people who committed, you know, crime. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So fast forward, I got my first job as a prosecutor, got my second job as a prosecutor. I was making out in California a lot more money than they do in the Midwest or on the East Coast. Um, teachers, by the way, out in California make uh, six figures. So wow. yeah, wow. For, for the <laughs> listeners out where you are. But yeah, so, so my point is, um, I had written the script of my life. I was living, working the job of my dreams and God intervened. The script got rewritten. I moved back to the East Coast. I couldn't get the job of my dreams. I felt demoralized, mm. humiliated, embarrassed. Those were some of the words you were using. Mm. Like I, I went back and I moved back there and I was like, you know, big cock on the block, full of myself, right. just like you described you were when you moved to Missouri. Right. What lesson do you think God was trying to speak to you? during that time where you were in the car and going to some horrible sales. (laughs) Yeah. I think that the lesson that I've learned in my life is that there's two things that God really rewards. And that is um, being relentless and being adaptable. You know, we need, when it comes to charging full steam ahead in terms of our, the calling that God calls us to, uh, we should be determined. We should be relentless. We should be like freight trains. But we also have to have a certain level of detachment and humility and realize that what we think God wants to do for us is or, or, through us is not necessarily um, what he actually wants to do. And so that, that that requires a certain level of willingness to adapt and to adjust and to evolve with our, our um continued understanding of, of God's will for our life. And so for me, what I learned, you know, moving to St. Louis and experiencing disappointment, and then all of a sudden God opens up, you know, these other opportunities is my job is to obey and, and, and to recognize that I always have, my calling doesn't change. I believe that when I took that, you know, that public communications class, I believe that God put it on my heart that he wanted me to be indicator for him, a person who wrote and spoke and delivered a message that helped people. In my mind, the context was the pastorate, the actual local church. And then after that, I thought, well, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's maybe it's he's calling me to be a college professor. And then that's the that's the context. But door after door closed on that. Never in a million years would I have ever thought that God was going to put me in a situation where I was the co-host with a nine-figure nutritional supplement company uh, uh, founder who cussed like a sailor and was intimidating and was intense. Like never in a million years did I think he was going to do that. And yet looking back, I realize, and now I know for 100% sure, is that God gave me a platform that I never would have had as a as a pastor. And God gave me a platform that I never would have had as a college professor. And so I would say to anybody who's listening to this, yes, be confident of your calling. Be confident that 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 heart desire that you have, whether it's to be a communicator or or some sort of counselor or some sort of entrepreneur or whatever, that's probably never going to change. But also recognize that it's up to God to determine the context of that calling. And be willing to move forward and to adapt 
And when you do, you'll find out, I think you really will find out what I've found out, which is that um, what God had planned for us is infinitely and immeasurably better than what we ever thought for ourselves. And, and so that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming from, you know, determination and the willingness to adapt. Those are two huge lessons that all of us need to do uh, or embrace if we're, if we're going to be not only successful, but happy as human beings. And good servants of God, right? Yeah. So one of the things, you know, a lot of people who've listened to Real AF may not be able to even believe that there is some basis in that message that's based in scripture. And one of the things you talked about um, in your Empowered Fellowship, I think it was a few weeks ago, you talked about the concept of how when the day is actually based in scripture in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if you could describe what, where the winning the day came from with the MFCEO or Real AF and then relate it back to what we were yeah. talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, I can turn you directly to, uh, for instance, uh, the gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six through eight, I believe it is where Jesus is giving his, you know, he's giving his keynote speech, his inaugural message to his followers. And I think it's important for us to, to, to note that um, the people that Jesus was talking to at the time, I mean, the, the church has hadn't even built up yet. I mean, Jesus um, had his 12 disciples, but the church hadn't spread like wildfire throughout the world. So it didn't have the resources, didn't have the size that it does now. Jesus was literally talking to a group of people who, you know, were under Roman oppression. Uh, they struggled with, you know, just making ends meet on a day-to-day basis. In the Bible, if you simply have food and clothing and shelter, you're basically rich. Um, most people that Jesus talked to in the original first century world were so poor by anybody's standards that they had a lot of they had a lot of worry. Uh, they had a lot of concerns. And so that's who Jesus is talking to. And when he says um, when he speaks to them, he says, listen, do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. And then he goes on to say, look at the flowers. They don't do anything. And God dresses them, makes them beautiful. And he says, look at the birds. They don't really do anything. They don't work. And yet God feeds them. And he says, you are worth way more than flowers. And you are worth way more than sparrows. So don't worry. Just focus on the day. And so, if you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Just focus on today and what today uh, holds for you. And so that's kind of just one example of that's the concept of win the day. Um, that's the concept of making sure that your focus and it's not like the scriptures don't talk about the importance of, you know, forward vision and long range planning and that sort of thing. But really, the focus of uh, a happy and successful life in the scriptures is on the present, the present moment. And so um, even even when it comes to, um, you know, our relationship with God, the scriptures say again and again, you know, turn to God now, today, now is the acceptable time of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. So it's always this concept of win the day, do it now. Don't wait, don't delay, don't procrastinate, do it now, whether that's you know, attending to the details of your life or attending to the dynamics of your relationship with God. It's all about today. 
And how, how would you relate that for, you know, entrepreneurs who are so worried about meeting this deadline or achieving that goal or not realizing where they want to be as fast as they want to be? Yeah. You know, I don't know if this is necessarily the answer that you're looking for, but in working with uh, coaching clients the last year and working with very driven men and women who uh, are very goal oriented, are very intense and have very, very high levels of excellence. And, and, you know, they want, they want it all right. Um, and they're very often frustrated and they're very off, often full of anxiety. And one of the things that I'll just simply say to them is there is a God and you're not him. <laughs> you know, God is, God is infinite. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is all powerful. Uh, he has the resources to handle everything without getting tired, without getting frustrated, uh, without getting depressed. We don't. We're human beings. And um, we are, you know, as, as the scripture is kind of the summary of the scripture, what the scriptures say about human beings is that we're a, we're a, we're a, a unity of physical and spiritual our bodies affect our minds and our, excuse me, our bodies affect our spirits and our spirits affect our bodies. And your body has limitations. You can't be everywhere at once. You don't have unlimited stores of energy, no matter how many first form supplements you take, uh, no matter how, how much you exercise, your, you have limitations on your, on your energy, on your time. And so for me, that's not a cause for, what I tell them is that's not a cause for you to be worried. That's not a cause for anxiety because, you know, you can't handle everything and you don't have enough time to accomplish all your goals. That's actually an opportunity for faith. That's an opportunity for you to say, okay, Lord, I don't have unlimited energy. I don't have unlimited resources. I can't do it all. I'm not God. So I'm going to take the time to rest. I'm going to chill. And I'm going to just trust every time I take the time that I think is necessary for me to rejuvenate and relax and, and renew my, my strength, I'm going to basically take all of my hopes and dreams and I'm going to offer them up to God and say, okay, Lord, I'm resting. I'm giving you, I'm, I'm giving all of my concerns and all of my goals and all my dreams to you. I pray that you would, would create something beautiful out of it, create something amazing, create something powerful. Um, that's something that we have to realize is, you know, because I, I think sometimes entrepreneurs are, they're very hesitant to, to take the time of rest and they're very hesitant to stop working on things. Uh, most of the people that I talk to do not struggle with laziness. They do not struggle with idleness. They struggle with workaholism and they struggle with driving themselves insane because they want to get so much done and they simply can't. And again, I would tell somebody like that, just entrust that to God, because just because you're working doesn't mean that God isn't. And I, I, I always I, I've shared this this uh, story a couple of times with. Um, with some people that I work with, there's a passage in the Bible where um, Jesus is speaking to a huge crowd of people. And at some point he says to the disciples, hey, you know, we're a long way from the city hungry why don't you give them something to eat this is like five thousand people and the disciples are like what give them something to eat no send them home we don't we don't we don't have enough uh you know 
we don't, we don't have enough food to send them, uh, to, to feed them all. I mean, this is like a huge multitude of people. And so um, Jesus says, well, what do you have? And so they bring this boy to Jesus and he's got five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, okay, sit down and um, I'll pray over this bread and I'll bless it. And then we'll serve everybody. And I think the disciples were like, how in the world is two, you know, five loaves of bread and two fish going to meet the needs of this multitude. And the next thing you know, he's basically performing this miracle that he's taken five loaves of bread and two fish and he's fed an entire multitude of people because he keeps on breaking it and it keeps on multiplying it. And so in the original context, the idea is, Hey, this guy is special. He's doing really amazing miracles and he must be who he says he is. He's not just a prophet. He's the very son of God. Well, here's the application for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, you and I are the little boy bringing the five loaves of bread and the two fish to Jesus. And that's all we have. We had limited, limited resources, limited things to offer. We have to trust that Jesus can multiply what we offer him so that it, so that it makes an impact that's far greater than our tiny illusion. And so that's, if anybody needs to have faith, it's entrepreneurs. Because if you don't, you're going to drive yourself insane. And, and frankly, let's, let's just be real honest. In, in the world, the dirty little secret of entrepreneurship that I kind of learned is that entrepreneurship, you know, people who build companies and scale amazing movements are awesome people. But they're so driven that they are vulnerable to certain things, not the least of which is addictions. We, there are a lot of entrepreneurs I know that are, are addicted to, to drugs, are addicted to, to, to alcohol, Maybe it could be a sexual addiction. I don't know. They have toxic relationships. It, it's because we're so driven. And if we don't hand that drive over to God and really entrust it to him, it'll destroy us. And so it's so important to, to just remember there is a God. I'm not him. I can entrust him with, with my desires, my goals, and he will be faithful to do something with them. That, that is so powerful. Thank you so much for that. That's so powerful. I think that um, one of the things that I've been doing lately along those lines is identifying like five critical tasks, five mm -hmm. things that I can do that only I can accomplish that will, you know, mm -hmm. it can be a combination of something that I need to get done for my, my business. It can be um, as simple as dropping off the ginormous pile of dry cleaning that I haven't been getting around to or going to pick up that <laughs> prescription that I haven't been getting around to that yeah. needs to be done. Um, so what I'm saying is it can be a combination of your personal, your professional, whatever, your family, your relationships. Mm -hmm. But by identifying five critical things that are going to lower my anxiety level and increase my feeling of genuine productivity, mm -hmm. right? It allows that time for feeling um, like I've succeeded that day, that I've won that day. And I feel like when you take that break and you go for that walk and you're busy worrying about all the shit that you have to do or all the you know problems that you're concerned or anxious about that are going on, you get lost and you, mm -hmm. you lose sight that what you're doing is, is 
supposed to be for the glory of God, because God gave us each gifts and skills. And if we can identify what those are and incorporate them and give back to the community, like you're, like you're clearly doing, right? Hmm. You're going to continue to be blessed. Opportunities are going to continue to come, which is not to say I'm all over the place, which is not to say that you're not going to have hardship. But I feel like if we can just maintain the idea that when we are busy in our entrepreneurial activity, trying to do whatever your goal, whatever you're trying to do, you've got to remember that you're doing it for the glory of God. Absolutely. How do you do that? How do you (laughs) hang on to that? What best piece of advice? You know, I think that one of the things that people sometimes I think one of the things that is just a really beautiful, powerful thing to recognize about God is that God doesn't need us. And that sounds like, oh, wow, really? But he doesn't. He doesn't need us. And um, it's like I, I was saying this yesterday, you know, last night on the EF call, is that God is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. Not only does does he not need anything, he he doesn't need anyone. He wanted to, to, to take the invisible glory of who he was and put it on display. So when you see the whole world and, you know, whether that's Mount Kilimanjaro or Niagara Falls or the great deserts of the, of the world or the great forests or the mountains or whatever, all of that beauty and all of that majesty is basically God going public with, with his glory. And and so God, God created the world to display his goodness and his glory and, and, and his majesty. And so the universe is, was not a necessary thing. He did it because he wanted to give people the gift of life, the gift of existence. And then when, when he created you and me and created us for relationship with him, it's not because he was lonely. It's not because he somehow lacked. But he's like, you know what? He delighted being in God so much that he wanted to create human beings, men and women who would be able to delight in being in relationship with him. And so when he brought us into this world, he says, listen, I'm giving you the gift of life. I'm giving you talents. I'm giving you opportunities. I'm giving you resources. And the last thing I want you to do is have the attitude. Oh, I have to do this. I have to do this and and stress out about it. And, and, and let it be a source of anxiety. Instead, what he wants us to do is say, wow, I'm alive. Life is a gift. And all these challenges in my life and all these things that, that God is calling me to do, it's not that I have to do them. It's that I get to do them. I have this wonderful opportunity to engage in the adventure of existence. You know, And, and so when you think about Let's take an entrepreneur who who's let's let's use Andy as an example. Let's say, you know, back in 1999, he decides that he wants to start a nutritional supplement company. And yeah, that involves a lot of hard work and it involves a lot of complicated stuff. And, you know, Andy would be the first to tell you uh, that, you know, there's certain forces that you can't control, you know, the economy, um, other things that, you know, treat you in business. You just can't control that. Well, God would say you have two you have two um, choices. You can basically say, 
you know what, God, really, my desire is to start this business and to scale it to help people. I want I, I want to I want to help people. This is the whole point of doing this. And so I would really like your help with this. I would really like you to bless this. I would you really like you to help me scale this so that I could create wealth that I could use to do good in the world. And you could just get excited about it and be like, man, I'm really, really jazzed to see what God does with this. You know, and Andy will be the first to tell you that his his business picked up when he just stopped trying to chase cash. And when he tried to say, you know what, I just I just want to help people. And so I think that the entrepreneurs who really, at the end of the day, that's their agenda. They want to help people. They want to bring good to the world. They want to glorify God. Then I think that's that's the way you just become so at peace about it and so confident about it. And if you run into problems or you run into complications, you just say, well, God obviously wants me to learn something through this. He obviously wants me to grow as a human being through this. So I'm not going to stress the things are not clicking the way they, the way I want them to. Um, it's all part of the path. It's all going to make me stronger, better, and uh, more mature. The other option is to just say, well, I'm starting a business for me. I'm starting a business for, you know, so I can have, you know, all the cash that I want. And if I'm a, you know, dude, I don't, I don't think of women by this as much as men but but if i'm a dude i'm thinking you know i want to make a lot of money so i can attract all these great women you know and um and so it, it just be, you become really self-absorbed in this desire to to scale your business and it's at that point lisa that i think i think that's why people get anxious because deep down they know that they're not doing this for the right reasons and deep down they're they're operating as if they're the center of the universe and you just can't do that because you know, whether you want to lie to yourself or not, that you can't control everything. You can control a lot of stuff, but you can't control everything. So when you are self-centered, it is a recipe for anxiety, for stress. It is a recipe for self-destruction. Um, and those are the two choices that everybody has who's trying to do something great in the world. Do it for yourself. And as a result, deal with a guilty conscience and, and huge anxiety or do it for God and the good of the world. Make that your aim. And if that is your aim, you can have peace and confidence knowing, you know, it's like what Isaiah 46 says. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. If you make it your, your point to pursue God's purposes in your life, whether it's professionally or personally, his purpose will stand and he will do all that he pleases. You are guaranteed success. Guaranteed. Now that success may not look exactly like you think it should look. Maybe better. Right. But at the end of the day, it will be much more satisfying and, and rich and life bringing than you could have ever had possibly imagined. So I don't know if any of that made any sense. Total but, sense. And I think it's okay. so applicable right now. I really do. I mean, Let's be honest, okay? We are living in some really crazy times. Yeah. Okay? There is so much going on in the world. The last two years of this crazy pandemic, mm -hmm. crazy politics, um, you know, 
too much to keep going on and on about. And so, you know, not only are people anxious about their businesses and the economy and their lives and whether they're going to make their goals and achieve this or that, but there's everybody else's anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think what you're talking about right now is really, really helpful, really powerful um, and really important for people to hear. I'm sure a lot of the listeners are feeling uh, connected to what you're talking about. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, with regard to the craziness that's going on, you know, we don't necessarily need to get in the weeds of everything and and all of our opinions about what's going on in our culture. But here's the reality. On the one side, you could be somebody who's completely paranoid about COVID-19 and so worried that you're going to catch it or somebody's going to catch it and you're going to die or they're going to die. And that fear, what does that fear end up becoming? It becomes anger. You start getting pissed off and and that anger then looks for someone to blame. And so fear to anger to hatred. And on the other hand, on the other extreme, you have people who say, I'm not afraid of COVID, but I am afraid of an authoritarian government. And so what is what happens? Fear becomes anger. I'm so angry with government overreach. And then you start looking for somebody to blame. And so fear leads to anger and then anger leads to hatred. And then the next thing you know, we're all just at each other's throats. There's the hatred is just going off the charts and ripping our society apart. And why is it? Because at the end of the day, we're afraid. And so the 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 substitute for that or the I should say the the answer to that is not. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be diligent about our health or safety. I'm not saying we shouldn't be diligent citizens who who stand against government overreach. But at the end of the day, all of us need to take a chill pill and go, you know what? I either believe that the universe is completely crazy and that there's no rhyme or reason and that there's no God and we're all just a result of an accident. And if that's the case, then guess what? Your anxiety, your fear is justified. And so it's probably not a bad idea for you to look for somebody to blame and try to and try to uh, deal with the problem problem by, you know, just hating other people and, and wishing their their demise. But that's not true. There is a God. There is a God who loves us. There is a God who's powerful. There's a guy God who has a plan. And all of us need to to step away from our fears and go, OK, I believe there's a God. And I trust him and I'm going to ask him for the guidance to know exactly how I'm supposed to be faithful, to work for the good of my culture, but at the same time to not be pointing fingers at each other and hating somebody I disagree with. I think, again, I think fear is at its root, the cause of so much of our cultural problems. And I think if people really truly turn from fear to faith and embrace the love of God and the love of our neighbor, I think the problems in this country will be solved. It's hard for a lot of people to understand why God is allowing this to all unfold. But Mm -hmm. I believe there is a reason and we just don't know what it is yet, or I just don't know what it is yet. Yeah. I mean, you look at the history and there's some, there's been some pretty heinous things that have happened in history and pretty huge uh, tragedies that ended up producing great good. Um, Really at the end of the day, we all have to ask ourselves, which is which is the better world? Which is the better universe? Is it is it 
uh, option A, where God created us all as robots and none of us have free will. Everybody gets along, but God is like this big puppet master who just forces us to do the right thing all the time. Um, is that is that the universe that we prefer God had created? Or is option B the better option where God says, you know what? It's going to mean that a lot of people disobey me. It's a lot of it's going to mean that a lot of people make mistakes and they and they uh, fail and they do evil things. Um, but I'm going to give human beings the possibility to make real and meaningful moral choices. Because at the end of the day, God wants each one of us to enter freely into a loving relationship with him and with one another. And the only way that they can, that can happen is if we have a free uh, a world where we all have free will and possibility of evil. Um, and so I, you know, I'll take option B because option B is more exciting. It's more adventurous. And we have the promise from the Lord. And, and the best example of this is, is, is the crucifixion of Jesus. We have the promise from the Lord that even if we exist in a world where evil and suffering and hurt and harm exists, God is so good that he will turn all of those things into something greater and something good. And so that's that's kind of what I'm banking my hope on, because frankly, I don't want to be a robot. I don't I don't want to live in a world where everything's robotic and and on automation, which, by the way, is, is exactly what a totalitarian state is. You know, it's funny, you know, people don't realize you can get safety, you can get security, but you're going to give up your freedom and you're going to give up your 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 personality and your individuality in order to get it. And so I always like to tell people that that's exactly what God didn't want. He didn't want a totalitarian universe. He wanted a universe in, in which we could lovingly or willingly and and authentically enter into a love relationship with him and other people. So. It's tough right now in the world, but this is the result of living in a world where God gives us freedom. I want to talk briefly about your book. You've been so generous with your time, and I don't want oh, to yeah. take advantage of it. Um, there are two things that I want to make sure we talk about. One is Sacred Drive, your book, and the other is Empowered Fellowship. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for uh, asking me about that. So long story short, when I was a, uh, the pastor of disaster, the co-host of that, uh, the MFCO project, <laughs> I would very often get conversation or questions from fellow Christians who said, you know, um, I'm a driven guy and I have huge goals and huge dreams and I feel guilty for that. And sometimes my church makes me feel guilty. Other Christians make me feel guilty and they cherry pick different verses and make me feel like, oh, you know, if I'm a Christian, I should just I should just be completely content to be poor. And and, you know, any attempt to do great things is really prideful and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so their question was, is there any way to be driven and ambitious in a way that, you know, honors God? And my answer is, of course, there's all sorts of scriptural principles about that. I, I mentioned this yesterday, Lisa, you were on the call. Call In the New Testament, in the Gospels, there were religious leaders of Jesus' day who were doing good works for the wrong reasons. They just wanted to be liked. They wanted the approval of the crowd. They wanted uh, money and fame just for themselves. They were very self-obsessed. 
And, and so Jesus said, you're, you're hypocrites, you're play actors. You don't really know God. You don't love him or other people. And so I think people key in on that and they say, oh, see, I don't want to be like that. But they don't realize that elsewhere in the scriptures, Jesus says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. And so this is there is this principle in scripture that, yes, we're supposed to become all that what God meant us to be. Um, we're supposed to let our light shine. We're supposed to scale a business or win national championships and succeed in all sorts of different ways, not for those accomplishments in and of themselves, but so that we can give that glory to God and we can draw other people to him. So let's face it. Everybody loves the winner, right? Everybody loves. I love the example. I love the example of Kurt Warner. If if any if people aren't, you know, NFL fans and they don't know who Kurt Warner is, in 1998 Kurt Warner was bagging groceries at a grocery store. But he never gave up his dream. He played in college, he never gave up his dream to be a um an NFL quarterback. And so he finally gets signed by the St. Louis Rams and he's a backup quarterback. And, you know, he's a he's a solid man of faith. He had made some mistakes in the past, but he got right with God. And he and his wife were on the track to just loving God and loving other people. And so what happens in 1999? Uh, very first, very first um, uh, play or excuse, excuse me, very first game of the season. The starting quarterback for the St. Louis Rams, Trent Green, goes down. And they bring in Kurt Warner. And what, what I remember very clearly about that is that a lot of people thought, okay, after years of really sucking, this is the first year that the Rams are actually going to be somewhat good. And what happens? They lose their starting quarterback. And I remember in, a, in, a, in, the, press, in, the, in the press conference after the, that game, um, Dick Vermeil, who was a very, very emotional coach, says, you know what? We're going to rally around Kurt Warner. And we're going to play good football. And what happened? The next game, Kurt starts and he sets all sorts of offensive records. He goes crazy scoring, scoring touchdown after touchdown and game after game after game. He's breaking records left and right. The Rams are winning left and right. And they and he takes them all the way to the Super Bowl. And after the game, and they win the Super Bowl, they, they go from worst to first. And after the game, the, the, the commentator says, well, first things first, how did you feel? And, and Kurt breaks him off. He says, no, thank you, Jesus. God put Kurt Warner in that position, not just because he was an amazing man of God, but because all the time leading up to that moment, Kurt put in the work to become an excellent quarterback. And he would never have been in that position if he hadn't, if he hadn't gotten uh, really good at being a quarterback. And so what I'd say to anybody uh, is that you can have drive and ambition and want to be the best at everything you do and honor God. And that's what sacred drive is all about. That's what the book is all about. It's all about the principles that will help us. The subtitles of the book is, um, the subtitle of the book is uh, Biblical Principles for Pursuing Your God-Given Potential. And that's the whole point of the book, is that here are the principles that will help you pursue excellence so that when you succeed in anything you do, you can give glory to God 
and it will result in good for the world. So that's what the book's about. And I talk about like, you know, some common themes in the scriptures, like God's grace. And I talk about like, you know, God's grace doesn't just save us. It does save us. But if we understand what his grace really means, it will motivate us. Uh, If we understand that, you know, God wants us to take one day at a time, it'll help us be more organized and intentional with each one of our days. Um, I talk about the importance of not the, the, the way to become completely unstoppable and completely unintimidated by everybody on the planet is is to make is to obey the uh, the greatest or the uh, the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments, which is thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you have no idols in your life, but God is the center of your life, you will have a confidence that just simply cannot be manufactured by anything else, anything else. That's and so, so true. those are the different things I talk about in the book. And uh, hopefully, you know, I, I've gotten really good feedback from the book. I, I intentionally made the chapter short, you know, so that people could, don't have to spend as much time reading. They can reflect on what they read. And I think I think it's uh, it's a, a fairly easy read, but gives you a lot to think about. I think that's so true. I, I work with a lot of um, women who really struggle with, you know, the idea of, well, if I do this, well, what are other people going to think about me? You know, and so mm-hmm. I think that would be so helpful to dive into those principles and ideas that are in the book. And yeah, yeah, powerful. Yeah. So as far as uh, as far as Empowered Fellowship, the long story short with that is after writing the book and getting so much great feedback, I had people say, hey, can you give us more? Can we can we do? I mean, the book is great, but how do we continue to pursue uh, our God-given potential. And so I created a virtual community and the, the the primary purpose of that virtual community is to help people pursue their God-given potential, not just for their own gain, but for the glory of God and the good of the world. And, and so we teach biblical principles of excellence. And, and then that started fairly recently uh, this past June. And, you know, just a couple months later, we realized that we, we wanted to add even more that it's not it is important to help people pursue their God-given potential, but we also want people to be able to influence others to pursue their God-given potential too. So starting this month, we actually added some, um, you know, we we had had a regular Zoom call. We had had a regular piece of content that we delivered every month. You got to be in a, a secret Facebook or a private secret Facebook group. But now we're adding new content to help train people how to write and speak and, and to build their brand in, so that they can become greater influences, uh, not, not, not just for, I'm totally fine if they use it uh, to apply that to their business and their personal brand to create wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're giving people these, uh, we're giving people these, these tools so that they can make a greater impact for Christ and his kingdom. Um, and so, yeah, if people are interested in that, they can go to, um, uh, Vaughn Kohler, we're actually, reason I'm hesitant is, is that, um, the best thing for them to do, to be honest with you, is to go vonkohler.com forward slash newsletter to subscribe to my newsletter. And then through that, they'll get information about Empowered Fellowship. They can go to empoweredfellowship.com, but right now, um, it's a very, very basic landing page that we're currently working to, to transform significantly. So, but, and, and I'm, I'm on, I'm active on Instagram. I'm at Vaughn Kohler, V-A-U-G-H-N-K-O-H-L-E-R. They have any questions about that. They can just DM me directly. I'm happy to 
happy to answer the, uh, any questions. But uh, in the long term, you know, let's say, you know, what's today, November 16, 2021. If somebody listens to this a year from now, then yes, they can just go to empoweredfellowship.com uh, and they'll get every information that they need. But for the time being, I would I would take the other options. Is enrollment open now in November of 2021? Yeah, uh, so it's not open uh, right now, but um, we are starting in December, sorry, starting in January 2022, we are going to have rolling enrollment. And so, okay. um, uh, and we are going to reopen it very quickly. So if somebody listens to this within the next couple of weeks and gets on the list, that's fine too. Um, yeah, by the can, time yeah, this- if you want to get on the list, you can go to empoweredfellowship.com and get on the list. Yeah. So all of this is going to be in the show notes. If you didn't catch the spelling of Vaughn's name, V-A-U-G-H-N, Vaughn, Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. And of course, anybody can DM me. You know, I'm an open book. Everybody's got my cell phone number. I'll get you in touch with them. But yeah, I'm thrilled for your one-on-one training. I know that you're opening it up in January, 2022. I know you're opening, you said your enrollment into Empowered Fellowship. You've made it extremely reasonable it's a it's a monthly fee. You don't require a yearly subscription. You've made it. You've accom- you've been so accommodating. So you guys run, don't walk, run, don't walk. And where can people get the book? I know some people will go to Amazon.com and get it there, but where else can they get it? Yeah, you know, right now it's just on Amazon. I'm working yeah. on getting it in. Uh, it, I know some people are sort of anti-Amazon and I totally get that. And trust me, if there was a way that I could avoid it, I would. I'm I'm trying to get it on some other print-on-demand um, uh, sites, but right now it's just Amazon. The other thing is I'm totally fine. If somebody wants to DM me, I will send them a copy. Uh, if they want to DM me, I will, you know, we can arrange and I'll, I'll deliver, I'll deliver one myself. Of course I say that if by some chance, you know, 5,000 people DM me, just be patient with me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, send them to me. I'll get them out for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So it was was great. I just, uh, I, I uh, so appreciative of of the opportunity and, um, I, I just, um, yeah, I'm, I, I was delighted. It was a really great time. Thanks again. For more information on the Direct AF Sales book or custom dice course or workbook, go on over to directafsales.com. There's going to be a discount code for all the listeners there. It's code directaf20 and grab yours today. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please leave me a review. Make sure you subscribe. And even better, share it with a friend so that we can share our message and our content and help as many people as we can. Thanks, guys.